Hello and welcome to this wild and wacky episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today, myself, Paul Hoppy, and Sarah Hayashi are talking about Star Wars Rebels Season 3, Episodes 14 through 16. We're talking about the Warhead, which is actually just Warhead, but we will be talking about a Warhead, which is the Warhead in the story. <laughs> and we'll be talking about a great two-parter back to our favorite place, Mandalore. All that more after a commercial break that Fen Rao might be in control of, but we are definitely not. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I use they, them pronouns. Hi, I'm Sarah Hayashi. She, her. I am Paul Hoppy. I use they, them for the most part. Cool. Welcome to both of you. I'm uh, really glad we're back on the Rebels thing. Once upon a time, I thought we would have Rebels done by Kenobi. <laughs> uh, when man plans, the gods laugh. You know, so, so that hasn't happened, and we're not going to finish it by and or either, but we're going to get a good deal of the ways. And I like that Rebels is kind of the thing we go back to. Next week, we'll be probably doing an episode on the book Dark Disciple, which is actually a really important book for kind of development of some of the stories we're talking about in Rebels. Uh, some point soon, I want to do an episode on the book Padawan, which just came out. We're going to have a whole bunch of Andor talk coming to you soon. But today, we're continuing on with Rebels. And we're starting with uh, an episode called Warhead. It is not called The Warhead or A Warhead or El Warhedo or anything else that we might want to call it. It is just Warhead. And because Paul keeps making uh, faces at me while I try to use different languages, I'm going to have them give the reading of this episode summary, episode 14, Warhead. Paul, take it away. Fantastic. I did watch it in Spanish, by the way. So there you go. I can't you confirm uh, whether they use the definite proto, um, prona- geez, the definite article or not. Okay, <laughs> here is the summary. While the crew is away, Zeb is left in charge of security at Chopper Base. At the same time, the Empire launches a large number of disguised infiltrator droids throughout the galaxy, and one of these units lands near Chopper Base. Damaged, it is taken in by Zeb, but after a warning from Agent Callus, Zeb tries to apprehend it. Once it realizes that it is inside a rebel base, the droid's original programming kicks back in and it adopts combat mode. Very scary. After a hard struggle, Zeb and the droids manage to take it down before it can transmit its position to the Empire, but the infiltrator activates a self-destruct device. Faced with the prospect of the droid either blowing up the base or the Empire coming to look for it when it fails to report, Zeb instructs AP-5 to set the detonator to stall its countdown until the infiltrator transmits its collected information to the Empire. After reactivation, the droid travels back to its base ship and blasts it apart when it self-destructs, but this event nevertheless gives Grand Admiral Thrawn enough information to narrow down his search for the rebel base. Good summary. Uh, the only one thing I want to interject here is that uh, it says that Agent Callus warns Zeb. We've been talking about how we now, the audience, know that Agent Callus is Fulcrum, but some people on the um, the Ghost don't know. Particularly, we we well at least we Even don't Zeb, know right? if if we don't know if Zeb knows. Right. Uh, and that's particularly significant given that it was in some ways the conversation that Zeb and Callus had on that frozen planet uh, last season that perhaps started Callus on this path. We don't have confirmation of that, though. So do you want to point out for those who are like, oh, wait, Zeb knows? It's like, no, Fulcrum sends Zeb a message. And we don't yet know. I, I believe at this point Zeb does not know that Fulcrum is Agent Callus. Right. I thought I was like laboring under the assumption that everybody on the Ghost crew know. But I guess, yeah, we haven't been explicitly told that. 
Right. I, I kind of hope not because I feel – and again, this is something I honestly just don't remember. I feel like Zeb finding out would be a watchable scene mm. and like mm. an interesting thing to see. Um, but yeah, we have not seen where that, that happens yet. Also, I'm pretty sure it's a moon and not a planet that they're on, but I uh, yeah. that too. Yeah. A, a planetary body, but <laughs> a yes. Planetoid, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what do you all think of this episode? Um, I really liked it. It was really fun. Um, it gave me big, like, Zeb as Worf kind of vibes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Zeb is this, like, big burly dude who they don't super trust, maybe isn't known for his brains so much, and he's, like, put in charge, gets to be a big shot, um, but then ends up, like, having to thwart this very serious plan and, and comes up with quite a ingenious way of going about it, given the circumstances. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm always down for, you know, a droid episode, basically. And this was like a Zeb mm-hmm. and the droids episode. And where it mentions the droids who apprehended the other droid, it's uh, Chopper and AP5. And, you right. know, there's they, they do really well with the personalities here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of yeah. the personality clashes between AP5 and Zeb. And then, you know, Chopper being Chopper's little mischievous self. and yeah. um, And I think that... Warhead, I guess, is what we're calling. I don't know if there was a specific name given to the uh, infiltrator droid, but like, as the infiltrator, like, went in disguise, is this like very unassuming, kind of like, sort of gentle, like, nice seeming droid, you know? Right. And then, then goes into combat mode and is like, oh, that's that's not so nice. I can see why right. you know Din Djarin doesn't like these things, and then. And then they send it to go blow him up, which is kind of sad at the end, you know. And I don't think you're necess- supposed, necessarily supposed to like feel that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the intent of the show. But like, you know, um, what, what if that was the ship that Fulcrum was on? Also, yes, you know, I 100 percent thought that. I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, luckily man. it was the ship next to Callus's. Right, and Callus gives like a look after it. <laughs> Uh, you right. know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And I wasn't, I haven't rewatched the series in order. I've, I've been through it a couple times before, but here I'm just kind of watching the episodes that, you know, that I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be fun to record on. So I was mm-hmm. like, hmm, do I don't know what we know about Fulcrum yet? But apparently, we we have seen that that Callus is Fulcrum, right? Right. But, That's correct. Um, yeah. But it's unclear which ghost members know. Like they didn't all know who Fulcrum was before, and right. yeah. Yeah, and certainly I think, um, like, we've seen, Zeb at least knows that Fulcrum helped save um, Ezra and Kanan on that episode a while back. And Zeb kind of had a moment of like, wow, I, I, I guess I turned him without even meaning to. Um, and now that I think of it, maybe in that scene he did know, but yeah, I, I, I just don't remember. I'll, huh. I'll, I'm sure the readers will tell us in great detail <laughs> right, if we right. are wrong. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I like this episode a lot. and. In some ways, I feel like th- this is going to be a larger point, and I'll get into things about the episode itself, but in some ways, this episode is kind of why I overall like Rebels a lot more than Clone Wars, even though I think that there are... Th- the absolute highest points of Clone Wars, I think, are better than just about anything from Rebels. Mm. Because in some level, this episode is a filler episode. Like, it's not really driving the main stories in any way. It's not a very significant episode in terms of, like, everything that's going on. It's more kind of a day in the life of the Ghost Crew episode. I don't think there's anything wrong with those episodes. 
But in the Clone Wars, at least, a lot of those episodes sometimes felt the weakest. Um, and Paul, you mentioned droid episodes being really fun. Um, in particular, some of the droid episodes in Clone Wars are really bad, um, or at least not my favorites by any means. Yeah. All that's to say, and I feel like this episode, they really do so well, and I think you got it right, in part because the droids are so good. Watching AP5, I kind of felt like what we we're seeing was that like the base of his programming code is the same base as C-3PO's. Yeah. In that he's very eager to tell everybody all of his skills and just how good he is. Mm-hmm. He's very eager to sort of say, like, no, it, it shouldn't be done this way. You know, it's just more that, like, where C-3PO is sort of, like, a little embarrassed and sad, he's just a lot more angry and a lot more direct about his pomposity, mm-hmm. where C-3PO is a little passive-aggressive about it. Right. But, like, they're very different droids, but they definitely feel like they have the same base code. You know, and a lot of things he was saying, I was like, oh, okay. Part of what they figured out is that Chopper needed a C-3PO, and I'm not complaining about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the pairing works great. I'm glad that they're sticking to the formula. It's a good formula. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of underlying protocol snootiness, I guess, is definitely mm-hmm. going through AP-5. But AP-5 is much more of a misanthrope, I think, than um, C-3PO ever is. And is like a lot more, I think, aware of himself, but also aware of like the shortcomings of rest of the crew and i feel like right. 3po definitely thinks he's too good for a lot of stuff but in a kind of oblivious way whereas ap5 seems like he's too good for the rebel crew because like he knows his skill set is beyond what he should be doing here right yeah yeah i think um i for i did enjoy a lot of the sort of droid side quests in uh the clone wars more than i think many others did um, That's fair. But I, I do agree that the episodes that people refer to as filler episodes, which, you know, I've, I've got some quibbles with, with the term, I, I do think um, off get kind of thought of less or referred to less as filler episodes when they're good. You know, and I do think, right. like, if you're not going to engage with sort of the main arcs, like the big plot, you, you do have to really nail the character stuff. If you don't, then I think people are like, why am I watching this, right? But when you do provide really good character moments, which I think they do here, um, I I think people don't feel that same kind of like, why am I watching this instead of watching sort of the main story or whatever. Right. And I I think those are really good points about AP5 and C-3PO. And like, maybe, I don't know, the droids that can like speak directly to to Mm -hmm. people, right? maybe have this sort of superiority complex of like i'm both a droid and so i'm smarter than like a human but i also can speak like a human so i'm sort of i can do more in the world than like an r2 or a chopper even though we all know that the galaxy would have you know gone to crap without r2 and and chopper the empire definitely would have won yeah it's like that like protocol programming seems odd right because basically like you're programmed to just kind of be almost like a servant i guess is like right. what protocol is slash like interpreter mm-hmm. yeah um valet kind of situation but then they mm-hmm. clearly have like more than that going on right because like when ap5 does kind of talk in this like i don't know i guess like servant-esque language he's very sarcastic about right. it making it clear that like he doesn't think you know anybody's his master in any yeah, way for sure. And I think what's brilliant about that is that part of that is that AP-5 is programmed a little different. And, like, he wasn't a protocol droid. He was an inventory mm-hmm. droid, a supply mm-hmm. droid. 
I think he did something else before that, but definitely it wasn't a he, he wasn't a customer facing part of the business. Sure. You know, he was <laughs> right, a, right, right. Uh, the back of the store kind of thing. But also, you know, C three PO, with the exception perhaps of the last movie, has for the most part felt he was fairly well treated by most of his owners, and as he refers to the masters, and I think has fairly genuinely positive feelings towards uh, Luke and Leia especially, and somewhat towards Han, though he's knows Hans kind of yells at him a good deal. AB5 is a former slave who is coming to terms with the fact that he was very abused and treated very badly by the Empire. And so I think in some ways it makes sense that he would be a lot, like, less willing to just be someone else's slave, you know? Because, like, C-3PO is... He's happy. He seems to enjoy his role, but he calls Luke and Leia master, and he does what they order him to do. And I, I feel like it makes sense that... To me, the programming is different, but also the backgrounds that they have make make a lot of sense that AP5 is much more independent, much more like, I'm going to tell you my opinion and not care if it angers you. Okay, so I just I just want to come at you with a quick, um, actually. So um, <laughs> Go for it. AP5 is a RA7 protocol droid who is working as an analyst for the Empire. So he is a, pro- a protocol droid. They just had him oh, okay. working. He was in just working doing, inventory. Yeah, yeah, data analysis, I suppose, yeah. and also like taking inventory and then like... Uh, the rebels have him working mostly for inventory because that's right. what he seems to enjoy doing the most, I guess. Right. Yeah. And he's both a little impressed and a little annoyed that the other droid is better at it when he first shows up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. At first, there's this great, like, you just did my job in 30 seconds. Like, wow, that's really impressive. But also, oh, my gosh, no, am I about to be obsolete? Mm-hmm. And, like, Chopper, I think, takes great pleasure in pointing out that this new guy just did your job a lot better than you ever did so mm-hmm. we're gonna keep him around and he's also less sassy to us so <laughs> but then he tries to kill us mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. then he's gotta go unfortunately yeah. yeah just just a little just a little downside there <laughs> yeah minor complaint yeah. did yeah. try and murder all of us yeah. yeah it it just strikes me that like there's no plot line of like the machines taking over in star wars mm. even though there's a lot of droids and there's a droid army, mm-hmm. right? Right. And and when I say there's no plot line, I, I don't know if in the hundreds of novels or comic books or other media mm-hmm. whether that's ever a storyline. But I can't recall that ever being a significant storyline. You know, it always feels like it's human yeah. malevolence or, you know, some other species. But yeah. um, right. organic malevolence. Like, it's not, you know, it's yeah. it's not a bunch of droids coming together and being like we are going to take over the galaxy you know yeah we get some go ahead we get some like droid uprising stuff in solo but yeah beyond Mm. that they're they seem Mm -hmm. chill it it also like it kind of reminds me of um like okay i think just ap5 in general reminds me of marvin the paranoid android from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yes definitely um douglas adams also says something about cats how like a bunch of species like evolved to be like super intelligent and like get day jobs and stuff. And cats are in in the gal- like uh, <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide universe. They're like ultra evolved, highly intelligent, but they just chose to continue to be cats because they get to like sleep most of the day and someone feeds them. Uh, and it like kind of almost like reminds me of cushy. that. And like maybe the droids know that. something we don't. I don't know. <laughs> right. There's a there's a great quote. I I don't have the attribution, but it's basically like. Any um, any machine smart enough to pass the Turing test would be smart enough to know not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think it's very mm-hmm. true. And, and you're right. And 
I think we did some actually really interesting episodes, especially during the Clone Wars, but also, Paul, I think you were on one or two of these episodes, you know, talking about the way that the sentience of droids in the Star Wars universe has never really been ethically dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I think Solo does that a little bit mm-hmm. um, with the droid who kind of leads the uprising. But, like, for the most part, like, you know, th- the battle droids suffer. The battle droids experience yeah. terror and fear. And it and that was almost always played for laughs, right. you know? Yeah. And I think that... that and I, I like for that for like seeing AP five like react to that experience that he had, you know, and and Chopper and and R two. So something about the R two units, like someone just programmed all of them to be, and I think Chopper's an R four unit or something like that. No, but he's, the R, a, he's the, a C one unit. Okay, the Astromex. That's what she called yeah. them all. Yeah, yeah. The Astromex units are just all sassy as all hell. sassy as. <laughs> yeah, they're all Kenobi's. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think in some ways it makes sense that this was with Zeb because I think Zeb is kind of the least technical of the of the ghost crew and that you know he's the one who seems to have the most rivalry with Chopper mm-hmm. somewhat Ezra but especially Zeb he's the most kind of spiritual he's kind of more animal like he, he you know he he can use his feet his claws and like he can go on all fours sometimes and you know he's just the the furthest away I think from the droids sometimes and so he was a really fun way to to have a droid episode. Yeah, sure. and he also, like, the, a few episodes back, we got him, like, basically refusing to learn to understand mm-hmm. Chopper, because, like, why should he? Whereas it seems like everybody else on the Ghost now can, including Ezra, who couldn't when he first joined right. up, right? Like, Zeb is just kind of obstinate towards Chopper, which, like, makes yeah. sense, because they both have, like, these big personalities. Uh, them mm-hmm. clashing seems like a kind of natural... Yeah. If I can switch to a different part of the episode, because I think we've said kind of much we can say about that, though certainly pe- more people have things to say, go for it. Um, we're getting more and more of uh, Admiral Thrawn mm. and sort of seeing that he has all these plans and things like that. And I think for a lot of the fans, we knew Thrawn from the novels, either from the pre, you know, the original novels that came out very soon after Return of the Jedi and were often, they're not the official first novels because there was novelizations, but they're the first kind of of the extended universe. There's also been now a whole bunch of new Thrawn books and stuff like that. But, you know, Paul, you haven't read any of those. What's kind of your feeling on Thrawn? So, like, I, if I'm right, you mostly have only experienced him through this show, right? I have, I believe, literally only experienced him through this show and through listening to... I think I think you and Riki did an episode specifically on Thrawn a, a while yep. back, right? Um, yeah. And listening to that and just kind of knowing that this is this character that a lot of people really love... Uh, but right. the only I've really only thing I've really seen of him is in Rebels, um, and I actually have I have like four notes on these three episodes, and one is like I enjoy Thrawn so much more than Saxon, mm-hmm. uh, and just mm-hmm. the, you know this is the type of villain that I really enjoy that just feels like a person, feels like a really worthy adversary for the protagonists, mm-hmm. you know, feels like he's got his own agenda and his own reasons. He doesn't always share like why he really wants the empire to be the empire and do empire things but mm-hmm. he's all in and like he's really good at it and right. i really enjoy the like you know zeb thinks like oh we got one over on the empire you know and fulcrum mm-hmm. uh callus is like oh we got you know what a victory and thrawn's like oh you you think this was a, a defeat for us this was a loss no they won the battle but we're gonna win the war and uh spoilers uh, you're not gonna win the war but you're gonna do okay for a while 
But yeah, I just really enjoyed that. Just just this little bit of Thrawn. You don't need a lot of him. Like a little bit of him goes a long way. And I think that's like, Thrawn's inclusion is really nice because it does, I mean, Warhead is, I think, a filler episode, but it has like important plot points, Mm -hmm. right? Like this comes up later um, in the the episodes immediately after the next two we're going to watch or talk about that like this this droid coming back has right. repercussions that are going to be yeah. continue on throughout the story so i think it's like that also maybe helps it not feel as quote-unquote filler-y right but i mean yeah. it very very easily this could have just been like a scene in a different episode that was much more like action right. plot oriented and i like that we got a nice little break from that yeah. but still got our our thrawn like cookie yeah. at the end as well it's good and I was intentional in calling it filler for that reason, because mm-hmm. I agree with you, Paul. I think sometimes filler is synonymous for episode I didn't like or I didn't care much right, about. Right. And I think it's probably, I think there could be some very good filler episodes for sure. Yeah, to me, it's more just it's it's the one off that doesn't have direct connections to the overall stories. But yeah, that there's a lot of character development happens. And part of why I asked you, Paul, that question was because, like for me, when I see all those little bits of Thrawn. It's like looking at a tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I know enough from the books to kind of fill in everything else that's there, you know? Yeah. And so I'm just always curious to feel like for someone who doesn't have that knowledge. And so it's awesome, I think, that just from the show, you're still getting a lot of those same senses of the character. And I think that's them doing it in a way that makes those of us who've read the books feel like, yes, that's the character we love with some complaints every, every now and then. But but also that for people who haven't heard of him, they can really enjoy it, too, is I think it's great writing. Yeah, it's great writing, it's great performance, and it's great art, you know? Um, yeah. And I I look forward, mostly, to seeing, you know, if and how the character shows up in live action, you know, with mm-hmm. with, with the, you know, the little bit of uh, reservations of like, all right, well, we'll see, you know? I won't <laughs> yeah. put too many expectations on it. I do think they'll nail the essence of the character, and, like, maybe yeah. maybe some people will be like, ah, oh, this doesn't look right. The head tails are too short, you know? I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and it's like sometimes, yeah, something just doesn't look right to you. It doesn't look right to you, whatever, you yeah. know? But uh, but I I feel like they're... Because that shows... I mean, he'll, he'll probably show up in Ahsoka, right? Mm-hmm. And that's done by Filoni, Right? Right. And this was done by Filoni. And so I feel like there's this through line. And I, I feel like they're probably going to use the same actor and just paint him blue. Um, I hope we'll see. so. I really hope so. Yeah. I, I think mostly, I, I would imagine that that's their first choice. And it really depends on if that sure. actor is available yeah. slash wants to do this. Right, right. Yeah. And like, um, like Lars Mikkelsen has acting chops and has played basically a non-blue version of this character in the Sherlock BBC TV series. Oh um, yes, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, so like yeah, that guy. <laughs> he would not. Ron is Putin. Yeah, he's basically playing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that too. That was in um. Oh, the one with the guy. House of Cards. Terrible. Yes, House of Cards. Thank you. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Lars Mikkelsen is delightful and wonderful, and would do an amazing job at this. And like, I think it's it's great because he's not just a voice actor. Like I know there are plenty of right. folks who are just voice actors and don't want to, or maybe right. aren't good at doing like full body acting. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, please, I, I would be ever so yeah. happy if it was Lars Mikkelsen playing that role. And I admit I'll be very curious because I, I think I mentioned this before, but it's worth saying in, in, in this context, I really enjoy the newer Thrawn books and I, I'm, I'm still working through them. Me and Rob McKenzie are, have, have done an episode on the first trilogy. We'll do one on the second trilogy probably before the Ahsoka show comes out. 
But I think Timothy Zahn, the person who wrote this character, has a little bit fallen under the thing of like the dungeon master in D&D who writes an NPC mm. and then really falls in love with her NPC villain and then starts to make that person, eh, maybe they're not a villain. Maybe they're more like an anti-hero. Like, the way that they're writing Thrawn in the books is more and more justifying him and more and more giving you those reasons, Paul, that you were asking for. And every now and then, I feel like I need to like poke Timothy and be like, you remember you made this guy a fascist, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. You seem to maybe forget that part. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see where that character goes. Um, anything else about this episode we wanted to touch on? I had a couple more Thrawn things, but we can talk about that. Go for it. I just like, from what I, I haven't read the books either, but from what I understand, Thrawn also gets like super art powers uh, in the books, which he doesn't mm-hmm. exhibit in the TV show, which I really like. And I just like, I think another reason I'm so drawn to Thrawn is because it's like, you're putting that art history degree to use, my dude, and I love to see it. Like, right. yep. so good. So good. The episode he has about uh, the Calicori oh, yeah. in. Um, the Sindulo's household is just so a because like he's able to make deductions that the rest of the empire totally misses. And I think it's kind of a good example of like the, the problem of the empire just being like, we have brute force. What more do we need? But also just how angry he gets at the other people disrespecting the Hera Sindulo's family and her, their home and the, the Calicori. Well, okay. Because to me, he very much feels like he's at war with Hera and he will fight and he wants to win, but he also has a deep respect for her family. He has deep respect for her as a warrior and also deep respect for her art. And like when he says, like, we should remember she is our host right now, like he's being a little sarcastic and evil, but he's also kind of being serious. And that just it, it, it's that kind of like gentlemanly evil that I just love so much. Mm. <laughs> and I think like I agree. I think like. Thrawn respects the art way more than he respects the people who made the art, which I think is like a really common colonizer y mm-hmm. attitude, yeah, which yeah. makes Thrawn feel real and like villainous because that's what real villains mm-hmm. in, in, in our yeah. world did. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. He's great. A plus. Talk more about paint color matching and, and different stuff like that. That's, that's fantastic. I hadn't connected until you said it, but you're, the minute you said it, you, you're so right. His respect for their art is very much the colonizers. Oh, of yeah. Like, no, we shouldn't just kill. You know, they're not savages. They're, there's nobility in their savageness. You know, it's very sure. much that kind of, like, his respect, but from a very colonialist place. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's 100% yeah. referring to this as outsider art and, like, primitive art. And you're just, like, throwing my dude. Yeah. Like, you I, murdered I was... the, all the people, but okay, go off on how right. cool their art is, I guess. Yeah, I was... I was... As you were talking about the the art, I was like thinking of you know the the British and mm-hmm. and like Egypt and how you know when we were talking about Moon Knight, right? And like yeah. the people who looted those tombs, you know, the people who went and killed a lot of people and then stole artifacts, like they still loved the art. They still have an oh, yeah. appreciation for the culture. They just don't have an appreciation for the human lives that they destroyed, right? Right. And it's like, that's just, that is a very real thing. And it's it's horrible, but it's like, I think it is really nice to actually show it as it is, right? And not not pretend like, oh, well, you clearly don't have any appreciation for this if you, you know, do these horrible things. It's like, no, you can do horrible things and also 
appreciate things, you know, like those two right. things can coexist. And that I think makes a great villain, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yes, when people write villains um, and then they write stories centered around those villains, there just is this like, just always, uh, they just make them less villainous, you know? And it's yeah. like, you can keep them just as villainous, but have all these things that you're like, Oh, I, I kind of like this guy, but like, He's also horrible. He's also a genocidal, horrible, horrible person. And I just yeah. have to remember that, you know, and, and that can be where the story is and sort of the tension is without like glossing over their horrors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and that's like, cause I know in the books, Thrawn hates civilian casualties and wants to avoid them at all costs. Mm. And like in the show, when we first, one of the first things we learn about him is Callus yeah. being like, yeah, that successful mission, didn't you kill more civilians than you actually did, like, uh, you know, dissidents or something like yeah. that? You know, I was like, yeah, okay. So that's yeah. a little different than the, the yeah. one that you know. Yeah, fair. <laughs> you know, Timothy Zahn and Dave Filoni are probably... But I will say at least this time, uh, Zahn is getting both a lot of credits, but also a lot of royalties, as I understand from this. So I do... I appreciate... And as far as I know... Disney's they, paying someone for their Star Wars? I know. Books? It's crazy. Because they weren't for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was upset about that. No, yeah, but, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also, as, as far as I understand it, Thrawn is the first time a character who that originally started in the Legends canon has now had a major appearance mm. in uh, the official sort of canon story. Right, so right. I think that is pretty cool. Cool. All right. Let's talk. Uh, speaking of things that are big in both Legends and the new canon... Um, Let's talk about Mandalore. We've got a two-parter, and so unfortunately we have a kind of long description, but we'll break it up a little bit. I will read the first part. Uh, And folks, we did try to edit these down. I'm going to try and edit them down even further, but there's just a lot that happens. Upon being told by Fen Rao what status the Darksaber Sabine recovered from Dathomir holds among the Mandalorians. That's a terrible sentence. sentence. (laughs) Fen Rao tells Sabine that... The dark saber that she so, got from Dathomir holds a lot of significance among the Mandalorians. Tells Kane in that. Yes, Sabine knows. This oh. sentence oh, is yes, a nightmare. Oh yes, that's true. Yes, uh, especially the prestigious House Vizsla, of which Sabine is a part, who once ruled Mandalore. Kane decides, "Wow, that yeah, that sentence is entirely it's, in the passive yeah. voice." Kane yeah. um, decides that Sabine should wield it in order to rally the Mandalorians into the ranks of the Rebel Alliance. Sabine, who resents her family reluctantly agrees to the proposal, but training proves frustrating for her and Kanan. Tensions ensue between the two, which culminate in Sabine walking away from her training, but after a talk with Hera and a mutual apology upon Sabine's return, Kanan offers her the Darksaber, and the training begins in earnest. As it progresses, I did a terrible job of cutting this down. We could have cut so much of this, I apologize. As it progresses, Sabine is also forced by Kanan to let loose with her own emotional turmoil, revealing at last the truth about her past and Kanan telling her to feel more of her feelings as she's using the lightsaber is a topic we will be discussing, (laughs) to be sure. Yoda would have strong opinions about this. Uh, But she reveals the truth about her past and that she felt guilty about what the weapons she designed in her time at the Imperial Academy had done to her own people and that she wanted to make up for it for saving them from the Empire's clutches, only to see her own family turning their backs on her due to their fear of the Empire. Upon this confession, Kanan, Ezra, and Rao profess their loyalty to Sabine, no matter what course she will eventually choose. Take it away, Sarah. All right. Just as my air conditioner kicked in. Perfect timing. (laughs) 
Sabine, Ezra, Kanan, and Rao travel from Atolion to Cronest in the Mandalore sector in order to straighten out matters with Sabine's estranged family. However, the initial reception is quite hostile since Sabine is considered a traitor with her family due to her defection from the Empire. Upon being presented with the Darksaber, Sabine's mother, Countess Ursa Wren, is still too fearful of an imperial reprisal against her people, and her husband held hostage, to join with the rebellion, and so she decides to sell out the Jedi to Gar Saxon in exchange for Sabine's freedom. Saxon, however, immediately goes back on his word and denounces the entire Clan Wren, traitors to the Empire. Clan Wren and the rebels start fighting back against the Imperial collaborators, and wielding Ezra's lightsaber, Sabine engages in a personal duel against Saxon and the Darksaber. Sabine emerges victorious, but as she turns away from him, Saxon prepares to shoot her in the back. Ursa kills him instead, thus restoring her broken ties with her daughter. Foreseeing the chaos Mandalore will face and the demise of its Imperial governor, Sabine and Rao decide to stay behind and help restore order, and for, to, and for Sabine to find the one person who is truly worthy of leading her people into the war against the Empire. All yeah. I can say is she should just look in a mirror, man. Like, I don't know. I anyway, know, we'll get but to she that. doesn't want we'll to, to, I that. think, is, like, the I point, know. right? Like, yeah. and that's fair. You don't. You can be good at something and not want to do it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I hope she has an Aragorn turn at the end of, uh, in, like, Mandalorian or Ahsoka or whatever down the line. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I definitely think, uh, spoilers for Mandalorian if you haven't seen it, but um, <laughs> this, this story becomes it a version of this same story playing out of will someone claim the Darksaber and its power over the Mandalorians continues in both Mandalore and the Mandalorian sections of Book of Boba Fett and I think that's very much not uh, coincidental Mm -hmm. because it is a story that has continued to be and and I'm really excited for seeing Sabine and, and sort of people from her era coming into contact with the Mandalorian and people from that era because there's only about this is all happening by now maybe two or three years before the Battle of Yavin, and all that happens maybe like five to seven years after the Return of the Jedi. So it's within a like 10, 12 year period. Yeah. Apparently the official time is two years. So we're... Two years. We're, yeah, we're, okay. we're, we're, we're real close. So what'd y'all think? Oh, so good. So good. I don't... I, I love Sabine. I'm glad we're getting a, a big her episode, um, and it's like setting up for the future. I took a bunch of notes because I just, I don't know, this. I think this two-episode arc is, it's just really good. I don't know. I like it a lot. <laughs> I like it a lot as well. Um, I have a few notes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I, okay. I, I'm going to have to make a, a Avatar The Last Airbender kind of um, comparison here. Where Avatar The Last Airbender, spoilers is largely about Aang learning how to bend all the different elements besides air, which he's already got locked up pretty good. It really does a lot with training over a long period of time. This series, as much as anything else, is about Ezra learning how to be a Jedi, learning how to use the Force, right? It does a great job of exploring the other characters, as does The Last Airbender, um... Well, as the TV show, The Last Airbender, uh, the movie didn't really explore the characters very much. But, uh, but I do think that Ezra, to some extent, is like the, the number one character amongst a truly ensemble cast, right? Where they really do show this learning the Force, learning how to be a Jedi over a long period of time. And it takes a long period of time to tell that story properly. 
in the last Airbender, there's one episode where Sokka decides to like learn how to sword, sword fight, and he spends yeah. like I don't know a few days, a week, some some not very long period of time training with the T1000, learning how how to sword fight, and then like he's really good at it. And here they have one episode of Sabine spending a couple days learning how to use the dark saber and then she's like good enough at it anyway right and right. i feel like i love training scenes i love training episodes i love everything about that in this episode this first episode um but at the same time i feel like they didn't really do that full justice the same way they kind of rushed the, the sort of like Sokka side plot in the last airbender because they're like well this is just a thing we need to get done they did a great job of it but like it did it is a little rushed not totally realistic really learning how to use a new weapon you know she is a warrior she is going to pick it up quicker than some rando right but like right. at the same time it's like i could have seen her training with the dark saber this whole season and then having a climactic now i'm going back to mandalore and i'm going to do something about it you know mm -hmm. um I do think there's some reasons that that maybe isn't as much of an issue as it otherwise might be because of the way the next issue, uh, the, the next one turns out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed a lot of the aspects of the training, um, just the visuals of like the dark saber against like, you know, Kanan's saber, the, you know, she gets the wrist things that kind of like emulate some Jedi powers in some ways. Right. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how the Mandalorians would fight against Jedi. And she takes Ezra by surprise. And he's like, you cheated. And it's like, well, what do you mean cheated? Like we're fighting. Yeah. Right. And then Kanan's like, look, this isn't, like, that's cool that you have these things, but, like, you're not going to just suddenly knock over a highly trained warrior, you know, like, if you're not taking them by surprise. So, like, I really enjoyed both episodes, um, but I do feel like this training thing, instead of just being one episode, I would have enjoyed it more and felt like it did it a little bit more justice if they actually stretched it out as more of a subplot over a larger number of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I... I think that is a problem that Star Wars has had before. I will point to 12 hours on a starship as it flies to Alderaan being a good time to learn every, a lot about the Force. <laughs> um, and that we have no... If you follow the timing of, of how things go, Luke also spends very little time on, on Dagobah with yeah, Yoda. Yeah, um, and I also think they do establish that Sabine is quite good at fight. You know, it's kind of like a Rey, uh, a Rey issue in that, like, you know... Ray was very good. People think she learns lightsabers way too fast, but she, she was very good with the staff, and staff and sword fighting are pretty similar. And I think we see Sabine already being pretty good with the wooden stick. But absolutely, I do, I, I do agree with that. And I think that, that um, it, it's, a, it's a fair complaint that I don't think this show or Avatar by any means are exclusive to, but it, it's always yeah. a little bit eye-rolly, and I, I would have liked it was more... To me, what's the most uh, significant, and I, I kind of made an editorial comment about this as I read the outline, is, like, when she starts, she is angry, and she is mad, and she's talking about her upsetness, and it makes her better with a lightsaber to start to unpack that, and Kanan's all for it. That's dark. I mean, I, I don't think she goes to the dark side by any means. But it's what the Jedi, particularly of the, like, you know, Anakin days, would have said, no, 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 you can't touch any of those feelings. You have to, to bury that, repress it, not feel it. And 
I know it's a topic I return to a lot because it's one of my favorites about the show, but I just love it's one more way where I feel like Kanan and the writers are both saying like, yeah, maybe how to be a good force user isn't exactly what the Jedi said. And maybe we don't have to go quite the extremes the Jedi do. And maybe repressing your emotions isn't the best thing. Yeah. So a couple of things. First is like, the, the I agree with what you're saying, Paul. Um, like we've, we've had the dark saber since like the end of season two, right? Like why not have Sabine like slowly be training with it in the background? Right. It, it, to just pop up and then to run off. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. I think that the writers recognize this and there's like a conversation at the beginning of the episode where Ezra's being like an uppity little kid and he's like, but I use the force and I've been training for hours, like for years and years and years. How's Sabine going to do this in a day? And they basically are just like, shut up, Ezra. Like, that's how. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Which is like, oh, like, okay, sure. And like Sabine explains, like, I've used a sword before, etc. And then I think there's also like talking about using her emotions and like that's making her better with a sword i think like kanan does like (laughs) he and Hera are having a conversation he's like she's so expressive but so like tightly wound at the same time she needs to just like unbottle which yeah does seem very not jedi at all but like she's she's not a force user right like kanan explains that if the force is in every living thing always so like i guess everyone technically is a force user in some way but like she's not a force user in the way that the jedi are she's not a force user in the way the sith are the sith are or the night sisters are or like the bendu or anything like that right so i think like this idea of go for it lean into your emotions is lower stakes right than if like ezra started getting real pissed off and getting real good with the lightsaber i think kanan might have a few things to say about that mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense I think it's fair. I think there is always like this. I mean, you know, there is a literally speaking of twelve hours on a on a spaceship. Like, reach out with your feelings. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's. <laughs> right. I I don't think the Jedi idea is like ignore your feelings, right? Mm. It's just it's don't attach yourself to them, and right. so I I mean in a way, like while Kanan's kind of saying like you know, maybe lean into them a little bit, that doesn't necessarily, like, letting them out more might actually be less attachment than kind of holding them tight, you know? And it seems like Sabine did kind of have all this locked into her, and now she's kind of, like, releasing it in some ways. Not that she's not using it. She is, you know? But Yeah. Yeah, And and here I might be also more influenced from the books, because I think Mm. the like. I think the phrase reach out with your feelings, I don't think it means like reach out with your love or your hate. It's much more about just like being aware of what you can sense about the universe beyond your actual senses. But but also I'll say like in the books, there's much, especially with Anakin, there's a lot of like don't, Anakin's never given a chance to process his feelings of mm. missing his mother or, or his fears or his anger. Right. It's just repress, 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 repress. Right, yeah. And especially because with Sabine, it's some of these negative feelings of, like, hate, you know, anger and fear and stuff like that, that I just just thought it was noteworthy. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a good, it's a very important thing to, like, discuss, right? Like, it's a a sort of crucial turning point here in this episode. And, yeah, like, even this idea of, I think, Paul, you, like, kind of touched on it, that it's less, like, 
Kanan's trying to get her to like get over her feelings almost in like a kinder way process right, her right. feelings kind of get through right. them as opposed to just be in front of them or something yeah or like be constantly yeah. repressing them right like, like yeah. she she needs to control her feelings instead of her feelings controlling her which right. I think like runs parallel with what the Jedi are trying to accomplish the Jedi just are like don't feel your feels that's how you're going to control them which isn't great yeah it's one of those like the nuanced point mm-hmm. is control mm-hmm. your feelings that can easily get summarized down to the bumper sticker or the tweet yeah. of don't have your feelings. Yes, yes, totally. And I think by the time of, like, the Clone Wars and a little after, too many of the Jedi have kind of forgotten that nuance and have mm-hmm. become more just don't feel anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and even, like, I think I think it's not even always, like, control. Like, and, and this is kind of drawing as much on some, like, personal experience and just some philosophy that... I think, you know, the Jedi and the Force and the Star Wars kind of pulls from. But the idea of, like, non-attachment isn't to, like, not have those feelings. It's to not right. claw onto them, right? It's to, to acknowledge these things and let them pass through you the way when you're meditating, you acknowledge your thoughts. You see the and you let them go. You let them go through, right? right? As opposed to, like, hanging onto it or pushing it away. Like, pushing it away is interacting with it in this very... In this way that ends up drawing it to you as much as, mm-hmm. as pushing it away. In some of the therapy programs that I've gone through, the, the, the phrase that's often used is, are they driving the bus or are they a passenger in the bus? Mm, you okay, know, and yeah. I think it's that same idea of like, you know, feeling them without. Because I think, I think the, one of the points that's made here is that her feelings and her not having dealt with them are holding her back yeah. to a large extent. The one other little nit detail that I'll point out and that I do hope when some of these stories are brought together, as I think they're going to be in some part of the story going forward, as we saw in, I think this is book of Boba Fett, but it might be Mandalorian part two. They get it to me. It all feels like it's just the same story. And I don't really care. It's sure, yeah, called yeah. Boba Fett. That time I think it's all fair. Yeah. 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 We definitely see Din wrestling with using the saber. Yeah. And, and that part of it is this idea of, like, you have to be in touch with it, but also, and I forget if this is actually in the show or stuff I'm getting from other of the books, but one comment that I know I've made a bunch of times is that, in some ways, it's just difficult because it doesn't feel like a sword. It's just this beam, it's this beam of energy, and so it's, you don't have the physical experience of having this weight in your hand and knowing what it's doing, and so without the force to kind of tell you that, it can be difficult to wield it. And and I do and it's kind of curious to me that Din seems to have so much more trouble with it than Sabine did, and I just I would like them to address that in some way at some point. It, I don't I don't think that's a like continuity break by any means. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. I would just like there to be a little bit of a you know wrap that up at some point. Yeah, it was definitely something I noticed as well. Um, and like Sabine talks about how it's like super heavy at first, and then it like gets lighter as her connection to it becomes stronger. Right, right. Is like kind of how Kanan explains it. But, yeah, I think, like, I honestly think the real answer is, like, power creep, right? Like, it just, mm, yeah. they started with the dark saber, and it was just a cool black lightsaber. But then by the time we get to Mandalorian, it means so much more. So it needs to do so much more, I think. Um, and if we can get, like, an in-story explanation as to why, cool. But if they just, like, don't retcon it, I'm fine with that, too, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because they're both wrestling with not really wanting it, right? Yes. 
And I think they both say, like, it's heavier than I thought it would be or something like that, Mm -hmm. right? And um, it it does seem like Din struggles with it more. And, I mean, I thought Mandalorians basically just, like, trained with all the weapons, like, all the time. But I don't know. Um, I mean, if you only have one Darksaber, it's kind of hard to get everybody. That's true. (laughs) No, but I mean, just, like, swords, at least. I mean, Mm -hmm, so, like, the the fact that Sabine, like, was like, well, I've used a sword before. Like... Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think Din learned how to use a sword. Like, he was really good with that spear, you know? Like, really fast. Um, he didn't have it for that long. And I I do think, like, as much as she was like, oh, I, I think, Ezra, you must be really talented because your teacher is so terrible and yet you're <laughs> pretty good. But, like, maybe it is helpful having a Jedi teach you how to use a lightsaber instead of, like, the armorer. You know, sure. Right. Like, not that she couldn't be a great teacher at other things, but it's like she's never used a lightsaber. You know, yeah. she's just like maybe mm-hmm. read about it in a book or something, right? Here, it's like, no, right. this this is someone who grew up using a lightsaber. Like, probably has some useful things to say about it, mm-hmm. right? Oh. And I I do really appreciate again for the growth of the two characters because we haven't seen Kanan and Sabine mm-hmm. interact that often mm-hmm. in the show, and I think they kind of do that intentionally. I like that they both apologize to each other. Like, Kanan definitely realizes he is letting some of his own biases and feelings get in the way of teaching her. Um, And I I really like how they both kind of have that moment of, like, yeah, we both can do better. So they don't... Neither of them actually says I'm sorry or apologizes. They're just like, I owe you an apology. And she says, I could say the same thing. Right, right. (laughs) Which is like, okay. (laughs) But yes, I think that, like, the sentiment is there enough that it's not like a jerky kind of way but yeah i mean like the, you mentioned the the line that sabine threw out about like oh ezra must be super talented because kanan you're a garbage teacher right like she she knows that kanan's sore about that and that's been something kanan struggled with of like whether he can be a teacher mm-hmm. to to ezra or not so she's like she's hitting him where it hurts and like i don't know it was it was nice to see that that aspect of their relationship that like she knows him well enough to know where the pain points are. Right. Yeah. 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 Willing to push on him. Yeah. The people who can hurt you the most are the people who know you the best. Right. And they're clearly, um, a close knit family really. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, which comes up, uh, I guess in the next episode, (laughs) if she goes to her bio family. Yeah. Well, there's like a little bit at the beginning too, when, like, she, she's saying, like, I'm not going back to my family. We had, it's bad. No, thank you. Yeah, You're my right. family now. And it's Hera who stands up and is asking Hera, uh, Sabine mm-hmm. to, like, like suck it up. But again, in a nice way. Yeah. To, like, go back and, and ask her family to help the rebellion. And I think it's so important that it's Hera that does this because of all of Hera's baggage with her father. And, like, her having to, quote, unquote, suck it up and, like, go back mm-hmm. and talk to Cham and get... The, them to try and help the rebels like yeah I think and Sabine has such respect for Hera too that like having Hera as someone who knows ex- pretty much exactly what she's going through right now be the one to be like hey it would it's really important for the rebellion that you do this but I mean then they all kind of reiterate like it's your choice ultimately it's up to you and we're going to support you mm-hmm. right whichever way you go yeah yeah and I appreciate that because I feel like they do reiterate that it's her choice, but they put a lot more pressure on her oh, than yeah. they often would. And I think that that's – I think we're now getting to the part of the story, and this is something I think they did a great job showing them struggle with in episode – in season two, where it's not just a bunch of people who enjoy, you know, twisting the tail <laughs> of the Empire and get to do it when it's fun. 
they are now part of this larger effort, mm-hmm. and and sacrifices have to be made sometimes, and sometimes things, you know, and it, like to me, that's what Andor is going to be all about because it's a character who we first met who like killed a good guy because they needed to to escape with the plans and all that. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I enjoy that they're being like, yeah, Sabine, it is your choice, but we're also not going to soft sell this. Mm-hmm. Like, this would be, this would really help. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, this is a big deal. We're asking you to do it. We understand that it's a big deal for you beyond just what it would mean to us. But, like, you know, you get to make your own decision, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah we're not going to force you, yeah. Yeah, and it did, it did strike me how much sort of Hera and um, Sabine's histories are, are kind of similar and the same way like Kanan and and Ezra have more similar histories where they both were young when the the people you know who their guardians were killed basically right right and then they were on their own from a young age yeah and oh geez whereas, well even like like Ezra Ezra mentions like Sabine is all this yeah is right, but like right after she's left I mean, Ezra comes out to her and talks and says like well at least you have parents to go back to yeah right and like I feel like that's kind of, like it's a low blow in the same way as like Sabine telling Kanan he's a bad teacher is like a low blow, but also is kind of Ezra missing the point in a huge way because like Ezra's never met Sabine's parents. Ezra doesn't know anything about her family other than like they're some hot shots on Mandalore or some supposed hot shots on Mandalore. Um, mm-hmm. But like. I think it's, like, there's very real circumstances where, like, not having parents is better than having parents to go back to, right? And this is just, like, a really out-of-touch comment from Ezra, and it never, like, gets kind of brought up again. And it's clearly just, like, Ezra processing his own pain and not, like, not really empathizing with Sabine in the moment. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, It's stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, I hear you there, but also I literally had a conversation with two friends about, you know, our various fathers who none of us, like, really were in touch with because, like, mine was dead. One had never met his dad, and one, I mean, his dad had died and then come back to life and was, like, a a giant toddler, basically, in terms of Mm. functionality. And so, you know, I can relate to the sort of, like, yeah, well, you might actually be able to have a conversation with this person, you know? Yeah. And feeling like... I, I think Sabine is as out of touch with Ezra's experience as Ezra is with hers, you know? And it yeah. just kind of... Ultimately, it's like everybody's got their own pain. You know, everybody's got their own history and, and story. And, like, yeah. being like, oh, well, you know, yours isn't as bad as mine. It's like... Yeah, that's not, I mean, everyone's is just different, you know, and it, it can, it can suck in just different ways. And, you know. Yeah, like, I, I remember you telling me that story and my thinking about it because I definitely know my father in the way the three of you didn't. And he was abusive for a large part right. of my childhood. Yeah. And again, I, so, I, so I was kind of thinking of it like, you know, yeah, like it's just, I, I think in many ways that's kind of the story of Rebels is that all these people have been very badly hurt by the Empire, but all in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so they're. They're all learning to relate to each other. And like you said, Paul, not to compare their pain, but to just understand that it all comes from legitimate places. Yeah. I want to talk about who is my favorite character in this in this arc. And, and because of this is becoming one of my favorite of the kind of side characters, Fen Rao. Hmm. Okay. Um, I find Fen Rao such a fascinating character. because, And it's part of why I think the Mandalorian story is so interesting in that 
with big overarching stories like this of, you know, rebels versus empire, good versus evil in, as it's framed, it's very easy to put everybody into those camps, you know? And I, some of my favorite characters, the ones who they relate, who they have a different framework of good versus evil in part because of what they care about and what they protect and what they, what matters to them. And to me, Fenn is exactly that. Fenn is someone who is, for him, he is fiercely loyal to Mandalore and to his people and to, and, and to the protectors directly. And when he sees Sabine and the ghost crew as, as the opponents to that, the enemies of that, in part because they might bring down the Empire upon him, he's against them. And then when Saxon and, and the Empire do come in, he, he switches allegiances. In, in, and, and, and here, it, it's funny because you're talking about how we don't see Sabine change in regard to the Darksaber. We had him check it, like Fen Rao and her kind of checked in a couple times over the season, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like his evolution has really been sold well of, he's not all of a sudden like, sign me up, I want to join the Rebellion. He's like, okay, no, the Empire is, is hurting my home, my planet, my people, and so I will help you insofar as it helps them. But I'm still on my, I'm not on your side or their right. side, I'm on my side mm-hmm. and my planet's side, and... I just find him a very fascinating character because of that. Yeah, yeah. Fen Rao is fiercely loyal to Mandalore. And, like, it, it is. It's really interesting. Like, the, the moment you're talking about where he gives um, Sabine the, like, the, the bracers. They have a name, and I forgot it. It starts with a V. Um, and talks about how, like, this is how we fought. Com- this is how we dealt with the Jedi, who were, like, have magic powers, basically. Um, so this is what we use. Right? Like, it brings up that whole... Jedi versus Mandalorians, right? So clearly Fen Rao is not the chillest, but wants Sabine not only to have, like, this fair shot against Ezra, as he believes that she should, but also, like, a part of her heritage, right? Because, like, she went off and joined the Academy when she was, like, 13, 14, I think? So, like, she got most of her childhood on Mandalore, but, like, has been away from it for a while. How yeah, old I think is it's she? nice, like... Hmm? I think oh. she's like 18 or 19. Okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about all of this and just making things up. It's hard to tell with animation. How it really old is. It really are. is. I think sometimes it's a little bit deliberately ambiguous. You know, sure. like they want to let maybe a broader range of people relate to a character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think they're explicit with Ezra, right? Like, I think he's 14 at one point, he has a birthday. Yes. It's because, yeah, his birthday corresponds it was Empire with. Day. Yeah, but it's like, yeah. yeah it, he had his he was born the day birthday. Darth Vader was born. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I guess, okay, so at the very beginning of the episode. No, you mean Luke Skywalker was born. I mean Darth Vader. And Darth Vader. Not Anakin oh, yeah, Skywalker. Yes, 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 okay. <laughs> but yes, you, you are correct also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Luke Skywalker may actually be. Uh, Ezra may be a couple of days older. He could be, yeah, yeah. We don't really know when the whole, you know, childbirth and then dying of sadness happened. It's like Order 66 and Ezra's birthday are like the same day. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I guess, okay, so at the beginning of the episode, apparently, uh, Sabine is only 16. So she's, yeah, like, I guess 18 now? Um, Okay. But yeah. 
Younger than she's had a very active teenage years. She's yeah. I should just say. I mean, I mean it's I think, been a wild time, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think back to like my teenage years, and I feel like more happened in like a four or five year span than like yeah, in any other true. decade thereafter. Like, oh, totally. Th- just a lot goes on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's yeah. I'm not saying I don't believe it. I'm just saying like yeah, you think yeah. about like she like yeah. had these experiences at the academy. She had those experiences with Zoe from Firefly. She had like <laughs> she built these weapons that um and I remember we see the episode about have we seen that episode already? Or I think it's still coming in the future, right? Uh, I don't know which one you're talking about. Oh, about when she built the weapon and then Right. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I think what? this is later, right? No, no, I think it's coming up. Yeah. I mean I, That's okay. what I mean. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I okay. okay. I have a vague recollection of it, but not. Yeah. Like, fr- fr- probably right. We, first we'll avoid. So, yeah, I won't yeah. mention it. Then right. 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 Reasons, so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and it's so like this whole idea of like she built weapons for the empire that were used against her planet, and then her people disowned her for it. Especially her family disowned her for it. Right. I think right. that's the thing she cares about the most. Yeah. Um, but it's so heart wrenching to see her go back and see her family like sucking up to the empire now and yeah. like now we don't want you here because you're a traitor to the empire right which is like the thing that we hated you for betraying us to in the first place so it's like get yeah. your story straight i don't know like, I, I don't think it's actually what ha- i think what happens is that it's when she then speaks out against the empire mm-hmm. that's when her family turns on her because they're still afraid of the empire okay okay so she's speaking out against the empire for slaughtering mandalorians and they're like how dare right. you we should just right. let them slaughter us okay fun mm-hmm. that's cool yeah i mean it, it's it's appeasement you know it, mm-hmm. it's that place of like we are we are either afraid or like in more the gar saxon kind of attitude you know that where he not gar yeah gar saxon like he yeah. sees that like he thinks this is the the team to join and so he's like let's ignore the bad stuff and just be on on their side yeah, well, I mean, Gar Saxon is just like saddling up to anybody who has like a modicum of power. It seems like, yeah, he's the like. I think Fen Rao is a very well made character. I think the Countess Sabine's mother is a little two dimensional, but still another interesting character. Gar Saxon really needs to be drawn with a mustache. He can. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. He's got the haircut. I mean, he does. What more do you need? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, I think you made a comment about not loving his character. Yeah, like when he showed up, I was sort of like, I like Thrawn. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm just like, (laughs) this isn't the type of villain that, like, I think sometimes you kind of need some more kind of stock, just like, this is just the bad guy. Like, you just got to deal with him right now, you know? And, you know, I guess he's got like a viewpoint or something, but like he's just not very fun. Like he doesn't have a whole bunch of personality, you know, and then he doesn't have a whole bunch of like really compelling um, motivation. So, and he doesn't like look super cool or anything. So I'm just like, eh, you know, Um, I, I enjoyed the, the fight. You know, I thought the fight was well done. Uh, I I enjoyed the musical cues kind of working a subtle amount of sort of the force theme through it Mm -hmm. without making it like, predominant right and then having Mm -hmm. some other themes that maybe are mandalorian themes i don't know if they're specifically like sabine's theme or something but um but yeah i enjoyed the music there and uh when they first land and then they they go to like her like home you know um it's just beautiful like it it looks like scandinavia to me you know it um 
it's I'm just like oh this is it actually reminds me of um, I think Stellan Skarsgård's character his house in uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo um, there's like it's just this big house like and it's like there's a lot of windows and it's kind of like square looking I don't know I I just thought that it was um, I thought this episode was the visually most interesting of the three episodes we're covering, um, but sort of story-wise the least interesting to me, even though, like, a lot happens in terms of, like, the story. It's just, um, you know, I, I feel like there's less sort of uh, subtle character moments aside from the nice bonding moment, the beautiful mother-daughter moment after um, the mom shoots Gar Saxon. Right. <laughs> it's like, aw, ah, <laughs> you shot man, him for I, I, me. I Maybe this is just me and my own issues projecting. But, like, I thought there was a lot of subtlety with, like, Sabine's interaction with her mom. Which is, like, mm-hmm. her mom still doesn't like her. Like, right. at all. Yeah. Even yeah. though she shot, like, she shot a dude who tried to kill her. And then she says, like, nobody does anything to, like, hurt my family. Which is, like, demonstrably untrue, right? Like, right. you let yeah. everybody drive your daughter out right. off the planet. So, like, clearly, not that big of a deal. Well, I don't know. And one thing I... I, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of torn because I feel like the Mandalore story is one of the ones that I find the most fascinating. I don't think these are the best chapters in this, in the story, mm-hmm. in part because Saxon makes a very frustrating... Like, I kind of agree with what you were saying, Paul. Like, to me, Saxon is kind of like Admiral Constantine. Mm-hmm. Admiral Constantine on his own, oh. I have not interested in. When he's the boring idiot who either an Inquisitor or now Thrawn can smack around, then I think, yeah, he makes a good right. foil for that. Yeah. And Saxon would be good for that. Like, I'd love to see Saxon, like, toadying up to Thrawn, mm. and Thrawn mm. just ripping him apart. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I find the Saxon part of it not very interesting, but I did find the family dynamics really fascinating. One thing I was I was confused on, though, and I wonder, do we know this yet, or maybe we don't, because I just don't remember. I thought I remembered that Satine... I'm sorry, Sabine... Sabine is related to Satine. Satine being the Duchess of Mandalore, who was the ruler of Mandalore and Obi-Wan was in love with, and like that whole incredible plot line. And so at first I was thinking that Bo-Katan was going to be Sabine's mother. Is this other person a sister of Satine and Bo-Katan? Do we just not know how Sabine is related to Satine? Or maybe they're not actually related. I'm just making that up because their names are similar. Yeah, we know, but it's really spoilery. So I don't know if you want oh, me to talk okay. about it. Okay, so we find out later. We sure do, yeah. Okay, never mind then. Because uh, it's we'll, Satine we'll Crease, right? Or something like that? Yes. And right. So okay. she's related to the villain in The Karate Kid. Yes, John and, yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and thus Who related shows to the world Ipmon. 4, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, then and if you want to know what Paul uh... and I are talking about, check out the superhero ethics called <laughs> Champions. Exactly. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's also interesting because uh, it seems that Kanan went to the Mr. Miyagi School of Chores-based training. So that's... that's yeah, cool. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was true. thinking that too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I could see a wax on, wax off coming in from it. Yeah, well, and even like... It, like the new Karate Kid or Cobra Kai, not the new Karate Kid. That's I think an actual movie title. Uh, the Cobra Kai in like the first season ish, um, Danny Russo is like teaching one of the kids who didn't really glom on to the chores ba- chores based training. Yeah. Karate by just saying like, okay, I'm gonna hit your leg. You block your leg. Go. And right. like that reminded me a lot of like <laughs> Kanan having to change his teaching approach and being like, okay. 
we're gonna you're gonna run through the forms that Ezra taught you and I'm gonna block I'm gonna go high you yeah. block high I'm gonna go low and like going through it that way and like came and mm-hmm. changing his teaching style to adapt to his student which was which was neat and not like a, a connection I was yeah thinking I could make but and here we go a, a thing you have to was, do when you're teaching yeah. to be honest yeah, yeah. Oh, very yeah. much so something we talked about again in that episode yeah. Paul mostly talked about it as a martial arts instructor and one thing I'll also just say and this again comes more from the books but um Recently, I've been getting more into co- the idea of cosplay, and so I've been thinking about buying a lightsaber. And in that research, I found all these great websites on, like, how to learn, we- you know, lightsaber combat. Mm. And it's reminding me that, yeah, the forms that he mentions, like, we don't actually talk about this much in the books, in the movies or TV shows. But, like, long ago, it was established, like, these are the seven forms and, like, the different methods of lightsaber combat and like some styles are more aggressive and some styles are more passive or defensive not passive but defensive mm-hmm. and like the people who really know this and i should get someone on about this can you know can point to you know almost every lightsaber fight maybe not in the original movies but since then in the the prequels the sequels you can clearly see the different forms being used mm, yeah. and that part of um you know, what happened in the Kenobi show, I think we actually did it, someone, I think Danielle pointed this out at one point, is that you see Obi-Wan in the Kenobi show start off by using the form he was using in the prequels mm-hmm. and then move into the form that he winds up using by the time of uh, the original movies. So, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those, like, you know, in the same way that, like, there is an entire Mandoa, I don't think it's quite Tolkien level of developed, but, like, the Mandoa language has been quite well developed you just don't really know that much if you just watch the, the shows and stuff. Lightsaber combat, like the degree, it, Tolkien would be impressed with what they've done for <laughs> lightsaber combat. Yeah. Like the world building they've done and the way they've been true to that in all these fights is really impressive. Yeah, well, and even like Thrawn points out that like Kanan's using a specific technique and therefore like, oh, your your master, like Master Balaba definitely taught you this way, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So like even in universe, we have characters recognizing these like distinct forms. I do wish that they put that in more of the, I guess, more broadly consumed media. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if they had this, you know, I mean, they they could have done this in Rebels, right? When Kanan's teaching Ezra. Like, they could have actually shown and named these things within the the show, you know? And they didn't. And, like, maybe that's a bit much to ask. But, like... Yeah. I don't know. As a martial artist, <laughs> I would appreciate, like, actually, like, I don't know which forms are which. Like, I can recognize, oh, this looks different than that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of sword fighting or anything, but, um, or training, but I, you know, don't know which forms are which. And it's like, I'm sure there's, like, some YouTube videos out there. I, you know what? I think I watched one that kind of explained it, but, like, <laughs> if there was an actual in story thing, where they yeah. talked about it, I think that would be, I don't know, that'd be cool. Do it. I, th- I think it'd be cool. I think it's entirely possible we will get that in story at some point, mm. given the depth they're going into with sure. some of the stuff. Yeah. But I'll also say, whenever I become the sort of like lightsaber equivalent of a white belt, in the tradition of white belts all over the world, just like first year philosophy students who suddenly think they know everything, <laughs> I will be happy to impart the great wisdom that I will have learned about the Jedi forms. Oh, fantastic. The lightsaber forms to you. Delightful. In that context. All right, we're a little bit into the silly season. Is there any other comments people wanted to make about this episode? Um, I just wanted to, like, rapid fire through the notes that I had from these last two episodes, if that's chill. Please. Um, so, uh, first up, first, okay, first up, episode 15, um, we have 
when Hera's finally Hera, when Sabine's finally relented and is agreeing to being teach, she's like, okay, I'll learn from Kanan, I'll try my best. Ezra says, like, don't try, just learn, which I feel is a fun take on the do or do not, there is no try. Yeah. Like, lovely little like, Yoda call back slash call, call back forward. to how, y- yeah. how Kanan was like, yeah, I don't really understand what Yoda meant yeah, by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but like, I don't think anybody really does. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes trying your best is the best, but sometimes if you go into it with the attitude that Sabine had of like, I'll give it a shot, I guess. Yeah. Like, don't just, don't give it a shot, just do it and then see what happens. Um, the Ahsoka owl thingies are watching over when Sabine and Kanan are training. I don't know. What oh, I that didn't notice. Means. That's she, awesome. Yeah. She ha- and she has a, a drawing, right, on her shoulder. Yeah. yeah she after says. she, after Ahsoka has her like mall confrontation, Sabine puts the owl on her yeah, shoulder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's like some connection there, which I think is interesting, but I don't know what that means. Hmm. Just pointing it out. Um, when Kanan is talking to like hologram Hera about like how he can't get through to Sabine and Sabine like doesn't want this. Um, and Hera's trying to convince Kanan to just give her the sword because like making her play act this is not going to get her to commit. Giving her the real sword is going to get her to commit. I, I love this conversation, especially Kanan, like Kanan saying he's worried because if they give her a real sword, she could get hurt. And Hera explaining, like, she is already hurt. Like, you are hurting her more by forcing her to use these pretend swords and, like, asking her to buy in without showing her that you're buying in as well. And um, Kanan says, like, well, I don't know about that. And Hera says, I know you don't, but this isn't about you. Like, I thought that was just, like, so great and, like, really proves that Hera understands Sabine. Um, And then my final note is the snow crunchy sound effects on Crow Nest are so good! Um, because they are. That's what snow sounds like. A plus rebels. Yeah. I like it. Spoken like a true Canadian. I appreciate it's it. Good. I did like have bit complaints about the windows because like you're gonna want to double pane that glass, otherwise it's just gonna be chilly up in there. But right. You know. I mean, they have like Duraplast and like Durasteel <laughs> yeah, and all this it's stuff. So fine. Like, yeah. if those windows can survive, you know, space and laser fights, then maybe they're okay. I guess. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Snow's cold, guys. Paul, any last comments from you on all this? I mean, the only note I didn't address said these people are also idiots. Just about like <laughs> the when they're like, oh yeah, here's our lightsabers. We'll trust you. Like we'll just go in. And then at the end, yeah. Sabine's like, oh, and here's a dark saber. Whatever. Like just kind of like, oh, like these aren't good ideas. Like I'm glad everything yeah. kind of worked out okay at the end because I would have been really annoyed, you know. Mm. And it's like. I understand what they're trying to do, but, like, I'm glad Fen Rao was there to be, like, something's not right here, you know? I, I definitely, not the not this time, but the first time I watched this, when, when Saxon all of a sudden turned right. on Clan yeah. Wren, yeah. I definitely, in my head, went, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal, you know? It was like, <laughs> yeah. th- this is not a surprise, and if it is a surprise, you all have not been paying attention. Exactly, exactly. Well, and, like... I, when Tristan like pulls out his blaster and points it at Sabine oh, for yeah. a minute, like that's that's unnecessarily dramatic, sir. Just like <laughs> right, right, like, right. What? Like mm-hmm. he didn't even try and like use it as a trick to get a shot off on Saxon. Right. It was I like know. just a dramatic. Like maybe I'll kill my family. Who's to say? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I oh. yeah, it's so bad that he then turns. It, it, it's it's kind of it's not quite as bad as the Mace Windu wind up, but it, right. it's in that realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he doesn't use the element of surprise or anything. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I did like the go though to go back on the um, Sabine handing the dart saber to her mom. Like that moment crushed me in a way that like yes. Giving your mom the Darksaber is a terrible idea, logically. And I think, like, Sabine knows that, but I think that gesture is still just her trying so hard to, Mm. like, get her mom to be proud of her. Yeah. Mm. And it didn't work. And her mom called her, like, stupid and selfish. And, like, yeah, it was just, oh, it was (sighs) crushing. Yeah. I mean, this is true of a number of people in Star Wars, but, like... I think the biggest need in Star Wars is OSHA. Like, we need yes. the yeah, yeah, yeah. safety, safety rails. standards. Sure. But second, therapy. Oh, yeah. Like, the <laughs> amount of therapy. And, like, you know, Anakin is, is patient number one. Get him in first. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I think the Ren family is in the top five. Yeah. Like, someone needs to sit down with his family and really help them process through some stuff. They, could, they could use some help. There's some stuff. Maybe There's instead of stuff. having at- protocol droids turn into analysts, we could have yeah. turned into a different kind of analyst. Right? <laughs> God. And now I'm really imagining protocol droids as therapists. <laughs> like, I mean, that would get, be a great like, YouTube skit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, AB5 sure. is basically like a Freudian 19th century German therapist. Oh, would just be perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. All right. Now I think I can happily call this episode to a close. Paul, did you have any last comments? No, that was that was it. I, I mean, I'll just close saying I did really enjoy all three of these episodes, whatever yeah. um, little or things Quibbles of we had, various yeah. magnitudes. Yeah. Like, I definitely, yeah, there was never a moment where I was like, there were times, I think I've probably done it with one or two Rebels episodes, definitely with a bunch of Clone Wars episodes, and, and, and a lot of shows where I'm sort of like, you know, I'll move my mouse enough to check how much time is left in the episode. Mm. I definitely did right, not right. do that with these. I did, but only because we were recording. I was like, I was so pressed (laughs) for time. And Disney Plus kept doing that spinning Ah. wheel thing. I was like, why are you doing the spinning wheel thing? Just show me the show. And then yeah, you both apparently were having problems with the UI. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> Which was why? good because it meant that like you both needed to delay. So exactly. To exactly. I'm glad we were synchronized. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I wanted to finish my episode of uh, 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 Orville, so it all worked out. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was doing the thing to me where like I'd watched through before. So once I got past an episode, it showed me like the five seconds of credit I missed, the five oh. seconds of credits I missed, oh, the five seconds that. of credits I missed. And then I was suddenly on yeah. episode 18. And couldn't find a way to like get back to the main menu yeah, yeah. to just show me uh, Disney uh, Plus. You have so yeah, much money and such a bad UI. It's true. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Well, let me shift then to saying <laughs> so through the magic of time travel, I can tell you that when you listen to this, a thing that will. I am speaking to you from a time when a thing hasn't happened, but by the time you listen to it, it will have happened. But it will have happened on a Wednesday and it will continue to happen on a Wednesday. Because I'm recording this on Tuesday, a thing's going to happen on Wednesday, and then you'll listen to this on Thursday. Uh, Paul editing it in time, uh, assumed. Paul, tell us about what is now happening on Wednesday evenings. So yesterday, which is tomorrow for us, (laughs) we are are streaming about Count Dooku, I believe. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, we are on my Twitch channel, Zen Madman. And we're going to be podcasting most of the times. And times that Matthew isn't around to podcast, 
I don't know, I'll be yapping about stuff. You're always welcome mm -hmm. to come and join. We'll hang out and chat for a little bit in the beginning. Then we'll launch the podcast. We'll do the main part of it. Then we'll take a little pause and we'll do some feedback. And anybody in chat will respond to your comments. And then uh, we'll wrap it up. And then we'll hang out and maybe chat about some other stuff. Like when, when Andor is going to be every Wednesday. But so is She-Hulk. And like I'm sure they'll find a way of like releasing the Thor movie at the same night that they release an episode of each of those shows 100 yeah. percent guaranteed that's going to happen sometime in there so uh yeah. late august probably so yeah um we're doing uh wednesdays at 5 p.m i also stream on sunday nights at 5 p.m pacific and tuesdays and fridays uh at 11 a.m about poker and stuff yeah and one thing we're going to try and do is to let people know more often about the upcoming topics because we do love questions. And, like, it's great to get feedback after the episode. I'll tell you how to do that in a moment. But we love to have questions going in. And so I will also say uh, after you're, you're going to hear this probably on Thursday or maybe Friday or over the weekend, that next Monday uh, Sarah and I and possibly Paul will be recording on the book Dark Disciple, which is a great book that tells kind of the continuation of uh, uh, Ventress's story. Uh, Asajj Ventress's story. It goes really interested delving into like the dark side. It's actually a very good romance in a way that is very odd for Star Wars books, although they're getting a lot better uh, at that regard. They actually have people who know how to write women characters, which was not true. Not all the Legends characters, but certainly uh, the Darth Bane books. Oof. Uh, <laughs> but uh, point is, so if you've got, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, and I'll tell you how to give it to him uh, in a second. But also, if you've got questions or things you want us to talk about in terms of Dark Disciple, uh, let us know. And we'll definitely read those questions and comments as part of our podcast to be recorded next week. Uh, but so, Paul, you've talked about that. Is there any other things people should know about where to find more of your stuff? Yeah, just Zen Madman, various places, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, that's pretty much it. Those are, the, those are the platforms I use. All right. And Sarah, what about yourself? Um, I am Sarah Hayashi Art on Instagram, and that's it. That's all. I, <laughs> I think I have a Twitter, but I never use it. Um, fair. Fair. Yeah. 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 But, I'll just keep tagging you on things in Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Notice, Delightful. I think I, you tag yeah. me in Facebook, too, and occasionally I, I log on to that, and I'm like, oh, hey. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that's the best place to find me. Um, it's almost exclusively my ceramics but i mean if you want to pop into my dms and say hi that's totally cool too awesome awesome well thank you both so much and as i said the best way to send us feedback is if you go to theethicalpanda.com there you're going to find our email our facebook our twitter all the fun things we do let us know what you thought about this episode what'd you like what you didn't you like what do you think about the whole mandalore plot or um zeb and the droids how are you liking rebels so far what do you are you do you, have you read Dark Disciple and have some thoughts about it or have some questions that you want to know about Asajj or the dark side or any of this kind of stuff? Let us know. All that's there on theethicalpanda.com. There, of course, you'll also find all the other podcasts I'm doing, especially Superhero Ethics. Paul and I just put up an episode about uh, Ipmon 4 and Karate Kid 4, and I promise they have more in common than the fact that people punch and kick each other and they <laughs> both have 4 in the name. Um, it's Cobra Kai. a fun episode. Uh, we're also going to do episodes there on She-Hulk. We just did a great one on Ms. Marvel and representation. Lots of other great stuff happening there. So check all that out. And I'm about myself, my guests, everybody involved. Thank you all so much for listening. And as fans, be good to each other.
he would just say that wah 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 wah, and then you would hear in that what you wanted to hear in it. You know, <laughs> that was a great Dave Filoni impression. 